Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. For the next three weeks, I'll be focusing on the threefold groaning in Romans 8, verses 18 through 27. Creation groans, Christians groan, and even the Holy Spirit groans. And today, the groaning and the glory, part one, we're going to look at verses 19 through 22. Four things the creation goes through as it groans. Next week, we'll look at verses 23 to 25, our groaning as believers. And then the week after, verses 26 and 27, how the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness and what the Spirit groanings are like. And this is going to help us. It's going to help us understand how much sin ruins things and how awesome salvation is. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read God's Word. I'm going to read verses 18 to 27 of Romans chapter 8. Remind you, this is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Lord, you are holy and magnificent and beautiful. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes today, that we would see wonderful things in your word, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat there. So Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, focused on the present suffering and future glory of Christians. And what we're going to see now is more detail in terms of what that suffering causes. The groaning of creation, the groaning of Christians, and the groaning of the Spirit. And so we're going to see this, and I don't want to start off on a negative tone, but think about what we have been remembering. Think about what we've been experiencing. Just think of this last week's 17th anniversary of 9-11. Maybe think of the daily headline barrage of startling, crushing events. And the only response I have is, oh, what pain, 
what suffering, what groaning, what futility, what bondage to decay that we live with day in and day out. If it wasn't for our hope in Jesus, we'd be overwhelmed. From backaches to burnout, from blinded minds to broken down relationships, we have all that and more, and it isn't getting better. It's not getting better. Human beings cause so much suffering and terror and pain, all because of our sin. And the earth... The earth groans under the weight of mankind's sin. You think of what happened just this last week. Almost every Sunday, I, I check the news, and I, before I come up to preach, I'm like, what might be on everyone's minds? And I checked this morning, and it was the same thing as, as the last few days, all about North Carolina, all about uh, the Hurricane Florence, and, and the death toll rises, and, and there's this seemingly endless stream of natural disasters in the world, but here we're focused on, on North Carolina. If you've got family and friends there, you're even more focused there. You might even be feeling the pain with them. Hundreds of people being pulled out of flooded homes, and now they are bracing for another disaster. They are bracing for one that is still unfolding as I speak. Widespread catastrophic flooding of rivers. Rivers swelling to record levels and could bring the most destructive round of flooding that North Carolina has ever seen. Now some of you are like, what's wrong with you, Mike? Did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed or what? But let me ask you, does your back ever ache? Are your knees feeble? Or are, do you have any challenging relationships? Do you get a pit in your stomach over the evil that you see in the world? Are you downcast by life's hardships? Have you have a tough time traveling the road that God has put you on? Then you know what Paul is talking about here. The key point, we are feeling the effects of the fall. And here today we're seeing that, that creation, personified creation is feeling the effects of the fall. As we look into verses 19 to 22 today, we see four things that the creation goes through as it suffers the effects of mankind's fall into sin. And it goes right through the passage. The first thing, verse 19, the creation waits with eager longing for something to come. The creation is waiting with eager longing. The second thing, verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility. Futility. The third thing, verse 21, the creation will be set free will be set free. And then the fourth thing, verse 22, but the whole creation has been groaning and is up to the minute, to this very moment, and it will continue until Christ returns. Verse 18 sets the tone, drives this passage towards its conclusion. Verse 18 says the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now it is looking forward to verse 23, the resurrection of the body, the, the future complete Christ-likeness that is going to be the believer's eternal glory. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. You might be a citizen of America. You might have dual citizenship. You might be the citizen of another country. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, your citizenship is solidly rooted in heaven. 
It says, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, from heaven, we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. Colossians 3, 4 says that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with Him in glory. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. We will see Him as He is. The glory is referring to the inheritance of believers. Go back over to Romans chapter 5. We're going verse by verse through the book of Romans. And when we were in Romans 5, I said, verses 1 through 11 is like a microcosm of Romans 8. Romans 5, 2 says, Through him, through Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So 2 Corinthians 4.17 says that our sufferings are momentary light affliction. Your backaches, your, your tough relationships, the hardships you're going through, the things just, just rip your heart. It's called momentary light affliction and it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And the hard part is some of these things last for years for us. We go through the pain of that maybe through for years or days on end or even decades. But it's a momentary light affliction in God's salvation economy and there is being prepared for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says to Timothy, we endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Always pointing us to the glory. Always pointing us to what is future. There is something better in store. And the glory is about to be revealed. It even says it's about to be revealed. It's not being hidden right now. It refers to the end times event that will be coming with certainty. And it, it, it really refers to the imminence that it could happen at any moment. And we're reading this. The, the present sufferings are inconsequential considering the certain future glory that's going to be given to every believer. Therein lies our hope. And that suffering, as hard as it is for us to bear under, is the pathway to the incomparable glory to come. If you're suffering today, and I know you are, and you're suffering at different levels, and you're suffering with different amounts of pain, that suffering you're going through is the pathway for a Christian to the incomparable glory to come. And so any good you get on earth, it doesn't compare to the glory of heaven. Let us not forget the support that we have from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we live this life. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Cast your cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. There's this passage I read, there's great comfort for Christians regarding hope. We'll look at this next week, but also regarding the Spirit's prayers. The Spirit is praying for us right now with groanings too deep for words. And he's praying according to the will of God. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
Today we're focusing on the, the groaning of creation, but there's this threefold groaning. The groaning of creation, the groaning of Christians, the groaning of the Holy Spirit. And it's all telling us the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. But we see how it affects creation. Look at verse 19. It tells us the creation waits. And it waits with eager longing. To wait here means to, to look forward to something eagerly, to wait expectantly. But it says it's waiting. It's looking forward eagerly. It's waiting expectantly with eager longing. So you are looking, the creation is looking forward and waiting expectantly with eager desire. With eager desire for something that will be revealed. That will be made fully known. And that something is the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God. It's like, I, I picture like being at a wedding and waiting for the bride to come down the aisle. And just, you know, it, I mean, a church building and the doors open and everyone just looks with anticipation. Or, or you're expecting a baby and, and you're like, I can't wait for this baby to make its appearance. Or you're, you're a family member of someone who's expecting a child and you're like, we cannot wait to, to welcome this gift from God. The creation, verse 19, the creation, that includes everything in the created order in the physical universe except humans. Now, Christians are contrasted with creation in verse 23. Now, who's left out of this are unbelievers. Unbelievers are never portrayed in the Bible as having hope for the future. But here, all creation is being personified as having this, this longing for transformation from the curse and its effects. Think about your garden. Think about your yard. If you don't keep it up, it will grow you thorns and thistles and weeds. And let's say you work really hard at it, and you let it go for a while, it will grow you thorns and thistles and weeds. You know what it's doing? While you're gardening or while you're letting it just lie fallow, you know what it's doing? It's awaiting the unshackling from the dominion of sin. There's this vivid personification of creation here. I want you to go to the Old Testament. Go to Psalm 65 with me. I just want to show you something here. that The Old Testament depicts the Bible in vivid personification. Hills and meadows and valleys shouting for joy and singing even. Look at Psalm 65, verses 12 and 13. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout for joy and sing together for joy. Now, the inanimate creation is doing things. You see the personification of creation here? But the Bible also gives us a picture of the earth itself mourning. Go over to Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24. Because in the personification that God puts on the, the created order, you also see the earth mourning. Isaiah 24. It's funny, first hour, there were like just pages turning. It was loud. It was awesome. And second hour was like kind of quiet. I'm like, there's more electronic Bibles in the room. Third hour, just a combo of all of it. Okay, Just a combo of all of it. But look at Isaiah 24, verse 4. 
The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 28. It says, For this the earth shall mourn. The sin of mankind, basically. The heavens above will be dark. Because I have spoken, God says, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. Jeremiah 12, verse 4 says, How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away. Now we live in a time where there is an intense focus on creation and on creation care. And we have the global warming debate going on. And we have the whole idea of you need to be caring for the environment more than we are. And we've got the EPA and the AQMD and, uh, AQMD and everyone reminding us. And, and you see dead fish on the beach. And, 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 and there's things, I'm telling you, the creation is groaning under the curse. But here's where we go wrong. People make a religion of creation. They, they have Earth Day, right? And they got mother, they're referring to Mother Earth, and, and that's creation worship. It slingshots us back to Romans 1. Those who worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Don't worship a cursed globe. Now, the creation will be renewed, but now it's under the curse. You can spend all your time if you want, and it's not a bad thing, but you can save all the whales if you want, all right? You can reduce your carbon footprint all you want, but it is never going to get you to heaven. Any good thing you do is never going to get you to heaven. Every futile effort that we make on this globe to make it our forever home is gone with the wind. It's going to burn. You can train your dog, and it will still bite you. Beekeepers will still get stung. Lion tamers can't. They get mauled. Creation is, is waiting for a revealing, literally an uncovering or an unveiling. When Christ returns, God's children are going to share the glory. And this earth is ravaged and, and waiting for the bride. Eager longing, expectation, literally waiting on tiptoe. It's like you're at the airport and you're waiting for your friend or your loved one to come in and you're wanting to see them come around that wall and, and you're just waiting. The creation personified waits for this revelation of God's children, their, their future glorification. The creation is waiting for Christians to be glorified. But the focus is not on creation here. What God is doing is he's dazzling us with the beauty and the attractiveness of future glory. The focus is all on the return of Christ. It's all on what he is going to do. So, so future glory and, and even personifying creation, longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, creation longing for this revelation of God's children. And, and the reason why is because that's going to be the culmination of creation's function as well. The creation surely groans and you shouldn't fear the painful groaning of creation. It is groaning under the weight of mankind's unbearable sin. Only the perfect Son of God could bear our sin. 
We could not bear it. And it ruins the world. We break under the load of our sin and we weigh down creation with our heaps of ruin. And praise God, the Lord Jesus Christ did the humanly impossible work on the cross that would, that would make it possible for us to be saved. And by the way, if you're not a believer with us, and we are so glad you are here, we, we, we want to care for you, we want to love you, but we also want to tell you the truth. And so if you're not a Christian, this is your moment here where I need to tell you something, that anyone who's a believer is trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross where he shed his blood in our place, and he died, and he was buried. And he rose from the dead on the third day, and he ascended to the Father, and he is coming back with blessing for believers and with unbearable torment for, for those who reject Christ. You're going to hear that every time you come to Grace Church of Orange. You're going to hear the gospel message, and you're going to be called to believe it. We call unbelievers to, to repent and believe. You know what we call believers to do? Repent and believe and obey. <laughs> obey the Lord. Romans 10.9 says, and if you're not a believer, you need, to, you need to listen up right now. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in his finished work and what he has done and that you can't save yourself. And there's not some special recipe prayer that you have to pray in a certain way to, to, to have that salvation. You need to, to confess that Jesus is Lord. You need to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You need to believe that. And, and then express in whatever way God leads you to, to say, I believe that. And I, I want that to drive my life. And I want God to be in, in charge of my life. And I want to yield myself and surrender to him. Creation is waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, that every believer would be glorified, and the creation is said to be waiting for that moment. And it's a glory to come that will be so eclipsingly powerful that when it comes to us, it will overshadow the created order and glorify it along with us in the way that God is going to renew the creation. Nature is going to be caught up in the renewed, restored, redeemed realm and our sonship and our daughtership of in christ will be revealed and experienced by us where we will be fully conformed to the image of christ romans 8 29 we will be perfectly holy and beautiful and just like christ and the creation will be renewed look at verse 20 the creation though was subject to futility Futility is the inability to achieve a goal or purpose. You can try as hard as you want, but you're not going to get there. We all fall short of God's glory. We're in a straitjacket of sorts. And because of man's sin, God cursed the physical universe. Go to the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And go to chapter 3, third chapter of the Bible. And look with me at verse 17. I'll read down to verse 19. To Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of man's sin, God cursed the physical universe, and now no part of creation fulfills fully God's original intent and purpose. Creation is groaning. When humanity fell into sin, the created order was affected by that fall. It is subjected to futility. It is not what it ought to be. It is not what it will be. It's against us. You work on your roses, you'll get stuck probably with a thorn. You try to cut the bougainvilleas, your arms will get ripped up. Many of us know this by experience. We were made to live in harmony with nature and be its overseers, but now it is subjected to futility. It's like pushing a rock up a hill. It's like shoveling sand uphill. It's like swimming in quicksand. It's like insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And the creation wasn't subject to futility of its own will. Again, creation is being personified here. It didn't choose to be subjected to futility. And it says it's not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it. Who's the one who subjected it? God himself. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, Genesis 3, the earth was cursed, and due to the curse, the creation cannot attain the ends for which God first made it. God is the one who uttered the curse. It is his will that subjected it. Human sin was the reason for the curse. Creation is under the curse, but not of its choice. It's by the will of the one who subjected it. And look at the very end of verse 20. Put your eyes on the end of verse 20. There's two words you need to see. In hope. In hope. By the will of the one who subjected it, in hope. God put creation under subjection along with future hope of future freedom. Move on to verse 21. The creation will be set free. The creation itself will be set free, delivered from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. How does creation obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God? How will it be affected by believers being glorified? The focal point of salvation is God restoring man to his image in Christ. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll read verse 10 and also verse 13. The context is how, how human sin is going to get so bad before Christ returns. And verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now go over to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Go to the second to the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 21. And let's look at verses 1 through 5. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these words down. They are faithful and true. New heavens and a new earth is what we're looking forward to. Present heavens and earth will be destroyed by fire. God isn't doing a remodel or a rebuild. Old Eden isn't getting remodeled. It's not a retread. It's totally new. And it's in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness reigns. Now, if you're a believer, you know that Jesus reigns. Jesus is Lord of all. But right now on earth, sin is dwelling and reigning on many fronts. And believers, while we have been freed from the power of sin, we've been freed from the penalty of sin, one day our our hope is to be freed from the presence of sin. But right now, believers are, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, And we have Christ's righteousness. But the world is not yet permeated by God's righteousness. The world is groaning. Creation is in bondage to decay. Creation is stuck in second gear. Creation is in an ongoing cycle of futility. Death, decomposition, composting. You think what God does. You know, you can buy your... National Parks Pass, you can see how beautiful God's creation is. You can drive down your street and see how beautiful God's creation is. And you see how God causes things to grow beautifully, your flowers and trees. And and year by year, we see life from death. That's what we're watching in the spring. Flowers and plants grow from dead organisms. Then they die. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of our God stands forever. Creation is stuck in a life and death cycle. Subject to termites and infestation and decay. It it doesn't last, but there are these fleeting glimpses of life and then death. But creation will be freed The curse is not going to have the last word. Creation is going to be freed. Futility will be replaced by renewal. The world God made. Think about how amazing the world God made is. Mountains and trees and valleys and streams and forests. But imagine with me what it will be like when it's free to really be what it was meant to be. No hurricanes. No avalanches. No shark attacks. The lion will lay down with the lamb. One one day, no more sin, no more death. The painting will be finished. The process will be complete. Pain will give way to full relief of what was only 
glimpsed, what was only tasted, what was only sampled, or, or just, just, we just got a shadow of it. Creation is longing for the apex of salvation. And as one Christian leader said, creation will become a man-hugger again. Move on to verse 22 with me. The creation is going to be freed, but this is important. It brings us right back to the, the present tense. Verse 22 says the whole creation has been groaning. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Up to the moment, right now. It's been groaning and will keep on growing until that day. Until that day. So there's constant labor. Constant labor as, as in the pains of, of childbirth until now. The hope of, of the relief and beauty of a birth. Yet future, contrasted here with the agony of the inevitable mandatory suffering that one must go through to bring a child into the world. And, and what we're seeing here is that up until the present time, and until Christ returns, the creation will continue to be under the curse. Future glory, future joy. But childbirth is a great illustration. Labor pain, a metaphor of Christian hope. That the suffering is, is momentary leading to joy. And if you birth a child, you're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean momentary? You know, I, I was at the, at the birth of all five of our children. And I can't begin to tell you that I understood the pain that Angela was going through. I was empathizing with her in the pain. But the pain... The pain is unbearable. The suffering, though, is momentary in light of God's economy. John 16, verse 20, Jesus said, You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. He says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. The pain isn't for nothing. So the world is going to give birth to a new version of itself. Creation is telling us, it's like shouting to us, there is a better future. So Paul has been saying in Romans 8, if you're a believer, you can know for sure that you're saved. If you're a believer, you can know for sure that you are safe and secure in Christ forever. And you can know that following Jesus is worth it. That following Jesus in this life is worth it because there is glory to come. The answer to the question of whether it's worth it to follow Jesus is yes. What does it say about how we ought to live our lives? We cannot sit idly by and go, well, I'm just going to hunker down in a bunker and wait until the creation is renewed and I get my glorification. Go with me back to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to see verses 11 and 12. Because after it says that the earth and the works that are done in it will be dissolved and burned up, it says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in living lives of holiness and godliness? Looking forward, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, We exhorted each of you, we encouraged each of you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There's the future hope again. So we cannot sit idly by and say, well, we know the end is coming. That's why we have to get to work getting the gospel out. That's why we need to help those in need. And that's why we need to live a godly life. I want to give you three things by way of application here. I'll give you all three really quick, and then I'll go over each one in brief. But one, you need to savor glimpses of glory as creation groans. Savor glimpses of glory. Number two, you need to serve God's purposes as creation groans. And number three, you need to see Christ's glory as creation groans. Savor glimpses of glory, serve God's purposes, and see Christ's glory. Savor glimpses of glory as the creation is groaning. Accept the groaning as you see glimpses of glory. God, in this passage, is leveraging and personifying creation. Creation is groaning. Creation feels the effects of the fall. Now, people hear that, and many are going to uh, jump to evolution and Darwinism. We go to the Word of God. I love how there are glimpses of glory even in mass destruction. 1988, the Yellowstone fire, there, was a, there were the bristle, bristlecone pines. And what happened is God planted the seeds of regeneration, even within destruction. And, and this bristlecone pine only opens up and lets out this, the, the new seeds for the new forest in the midst of intense heat. And so the only way the, the forest would get re, replanted is if the forest burned down. And so you see glimpses of glory where God is in the midst even of destruction. You see some super exciting spots of hope even as you experience the beginning of the birth pangs. You see hurricanes. Hurricanes are on our mind right now. Hurricanes reflect creation's groaning, but also the glory of God. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains move into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling. Come, behold the works of God who has brought desolations on the earth. Psalm 89, verse 9, Lord, you rule over the raging of the sea. See, churning waves and whipping winds show God's awesome power on display. Yes, nature acting in ways it wasn't intended, bringing huge life-altering and cataclysmic forces unleashed on humankind and creation itself, and the out-of-kilter state of things leads to a dramatic upheaval, mountains and seas and atmosphere. And you, you have to remind yourself, Mother Nature isn't striking back. Mother Nature doesn't exist. God allows things to unfold in, in a kind of an interrelated cosmic consequence of mankind's rebellion against him. you got to remember, God is not paying us back for wrongs we have done when disaster strikes. But in a strange and difficult-to-grasp way, in a roundabout way, we are getting what we wanted all along. 
Chaotic events reflect the chaotic nature of depraved humanity setting their sights on having their own chaotic way. The righteous and the unrighteous alike are caught in the path of oncoming, oncoming storms. It just happens. The seething groans in the depths of the earth. God, God isn't unaware. It's not unknowingly on God's part, but it's not with some nefarious payback on his part either. It's the effects of a world undone by man's mutiny against God. We groan, and even as we see glimpses of glory, but savor the glory as you glimpse the bits of glory. Number two, serve God's purposes as creation groans. Reflect God's glory by taking action for the good of all. The debate about the extent of global warming is going to heat up continually. Well, what should be our attitude about the environment that God has given us and put us in? Christians should be horrified by the excesses of radical environmentalists. They deny the word of God. They deny the authority of scripture. They deny Christ. They deny that human beings are made in the image of God. Well, what happens? We flip to the other side and we take an anti-environmental approach. The New Testament doesn't say a lot about about the world and how to care for it. The New Testament is focused rightly on the redemption of Christians and their growth in grace. But Romans 8 right here is telling us God cares about creation. And Christians need to practice good stewardship of creation. God created it and plans to redeem it. I think the best way we can do this is resist materialism that makes our comfort the standard by which we live. Materialism, and, 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 with aimed at comfort, is not the standard by which we need to live. The glory of God is the standard by which we need to live. Now, this is not a gospel issue, but it's our responsibility to steward the earth, not preserve it. It will never be what it's supposed to be until God renews it. It's kind of like our money. We're supposed to steward the money, but we're not supposed to live for it, or put our hope in it. We're supposed to put our hope in Christ always. You see a hurricane? It's reflecting the groaning of creation and the glory of God, and it should actually remind you to worship God Almighty alone, to worship the one true God of the universe. It should remind you to pray for those who are affected. It should remind you to prepare for disaster should it strike close to home. It should... It should point you to prepare to get your feet wet and your body bruised to help people who are, in, who are in need of relief. We just sent someone out yesterday to Puerto Rico to help people in need of relief. You might want to go to North Carolina and help people in need of relief. We reflect the glory of God. You might want to find someone on your block who's in need of relief. We reflect the glory of God as we help any who suffer the effects of the fall even as we ourselves suffer those same effects. In Christ, we have the double answer. We are, our sins are covered by the blood of Christ, and God is working all things together, all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the last thing is, I really need to point your, your mind here and your hearts here. See Christ's glory as creation groans. You, you can surrender your hope to the Son of God whose glory can be seen in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. God who said light shall shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts, believers' hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Don't misunderstand God's grace in the gospel. God is not most concerned with you knowing your significance. God is most concerned with you praising his magnificence. You would say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. What you would say, nothing else can hold my soul securely. There is no other name, there is no other way. And I'm going to let the groaning of the earth and all the created order remind me that God is going to make all things new. All things new. Creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God because the apex of salvation is the revealing of the sons of God in Christ's glory. The creation waits with eager longing, subject to futility, will be set free. But the whole creation has been groaning and is up to the minute. So as you see sin affecting the world and your soul, see all things through the lens of the glory of God, knowing there's going to come an end to the groaning. It reminds me of the Andrew Peterson song, Come Back Soon. One of the stanzas says this, we wake in the night in the womb of the world. We beat our fists on the door. We cannot breathe in this sea that swirls, so we groan in this great darkness for deliverance. Deliverance, O oh Lord. The best is yet to come. Our hope of glory is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Someday deliverance. But until then, we persevere. We persevere. And Lord, we thank you that you are the one that has, that has promised that the best is yet to come. We thank you, Lord, that, that our hope of glory is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that someday deliverance, and we pray, Lord, for strength to persevere. All for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.